This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. I'm Jackie Cameron. Welcome to episode 76 of Inside COVID-19. In this episode, we speak to Professor Cheryl Cohen, Principal Investigator of a study looking into how common asymptomatic infection of COVID-19 is in South Africa. The University of the Witwatersrand researcher is also looking at the role of children in the transmission of the COVID-19 virus. And in this episode, we also look at COVID-19 tests. We hear from a business journalist about how home COVID-19 tests are readily available But you can easily think you test negative when you are actually positive with the virus. And we pick up on this theme with Discovery Health Public Health Medicine's specialist, Geraldine Timothy, who gives us the lowdown on what tests there are for COVID-19 and how they work. First, a look at some of the COVID-19 developments making headlines. In South Africa, more than 3.5 million COVID-19 tests have been conducted, of which 613,000 people have tested positive. In the country, more than 520,000 people have recovered from COVID-19, while the death toll has exceeded 13,000 people. In international news, China says it feels it is being treated unfairly by the push from Australia for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19. A diplomat has suggested that Prime Minister Scott Morrison's government has been helping the U.S. to attack Beijing. Speaking on Wednesday to reporters in Canberra, China's deputy head of mission to Australia, Wang Xining, noted that COVID-19 was first identified in China, but scientists must still report their findings on its origin. The world's fastest man, Usain Bolt, has tested positive for COVID-19. The eight-time Olympic gold medalist put the announcement out on his Twitter feed. Uh, I did a test on Saturday to leave because I have work um, trying to be responsible so I'm going to stay in and stay for my friends and also I'm having no symptoms so going to quarantine myself um, and wait on the confirmation to see what is the protocol and how should I go about quarantining myself from the Ministry of Health so until then uh, talk to all my friends and tell them that they're going to come in contact with me just to be safe quarantine by yourself and just to take it easy and just to make people know be safe out there all right cool the center for infectious disease research and policy at the university of minnesota says in a letter published in the journal of infection that most patients who were hospitalized due to covid 19 experienced symptoms for 111 days on average after returning home fatigue and shortness of breath were the most common out of the symptoms experienced But memory loss, lack of concentration and sleep disorders are also on the list of common symptoms. The centre reports that at least 20% of the patients surveyed experienced hair loss and about 30% have said that they walk more slowly than their counterparts. The centre also found that the initial symptoms for individuals when admitted to hospital included shortness of breath, cough, diarrhoea, muscle pain and confusion and they found that the average hospital stay was around 11 days. 
blood cancer patients are more vulnerable to COVID-19. This is according to a newly published study led by the universities of Oxford and Birmingham. The researchers found that compared to other cancers, patients with blood cancers are more vulnerable. They also said that patients with hematological cancers, particularly older patients and those with leukemia, had a more severe COVID-19 trajectory compared to patients with solid organ tumours. South Africa's National Institute for Communicable Diseases has found that the latest COVID-19 reproductive number for the country falls to just above one. It says that from stage five to stage three of lockdown, there has been a decline in the number of new cases, showing a slowing down of COVID-19 transmissions. The number, commonly known simply as R, is the average number of secondary infections produced by a typical case of an infection in a population where everyone is susceptible. Secondary infections are infections resulting from a single infectious case. If the reproductive number, R, is more than one, the number of new cases will increase, such as at the start of the epidemic. Where R is one, the number of new cases is stable over time, and where R is less than one, there will be a decline in the number of new cases per time unit. It says the reproductive number is down to 1.1. At the start of the pandemic, the reproductive number was 1.33, and it rose to 1.5 in April. At the time the study was done, KwaZulu-Natal had the highest R level in the country. This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. The University of the Witwatersrand has launched a study to try to determine how common asymptomatic infection is in South Africa. Professor Cheryl Cohen, the principal investigator of the study, spoke to my colleague Linda van Tilburg. Asymptomatic coronavirus carriers are hard to find and study because people submit themselves for COVID-19 tests only if they think they may have the virus or have some of the symptoms of the coronavirus. There's also the risk that asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19 may not know they are spreading the disease and take less precautions to avoid infecting others. A recent study by Nature Medicine found that some asymptomatic patients carry the disease 19 days on average, which is five days longer than a group with mild symptoms of COVID-19. The Witwatersrand University has launched a study to try to determine how common asymptomatic infection is in South Africa. Professor Cheryl Cohen, the principal investigator of the study and professor in epidemiology at Witt School of Public Health, told Business that the studies in Bushbuck Ridge and near Klerksdorp build on a previous study that the university undertook in these areas. She told Business that it will also examine the role of children in virus transmission, which will be important as the schools reopen. It's really looking at what is the burden of infection with COVID and specifically breaking that infection up into people who are infected but have no symptoms and, and people who have mild symptoms and people who have severe symptoms. And then superimposed on that, the second main objective is to really understand the transmission of COVID within households. And again, really what our study design will allow us to do is really to look at transmission both from symptomatic and asymptomatic people within the household. But really the unique aspect of our study is that we're really trying to look at asymptomatic transmission and asymptomatic infections. And of course, this is really difficult to look at because, you know, you don't know who has asymptomatic infections. And so that's why it's such a poorly understood area, although we now know it is certainly very important for COVID. 
Well, how can you infect somebody if you have no symptoms? Otherwise, you're not sneezing over them. You're not coughing over them. Yeah, exactly. So just to say, our study is really based on a, a previous study that we did, which was done for three years um, in also a rural area of South Africa and an urban area of South Africa. And the original study we did was really aiming also to look at burden and transmission, uh, particularly asymptomatic infections as well for influenza, which is a you know a more well-known virus. And in that study, which is just being submitted for publication now, we were really able to look at the role of asymptomatic transmission of influenza. And the big question, I think, is always some people say, well, if you're asymptomatic, you'll be less likely to transmit because we think the symptoms, in other words, the runny nose, etc., actually help promote the spread of the virus. But there's another point of view that says, well, if you're sick, you stay home and you don't mix with people. So maybe, you know, actually asymptomatic people get out and spread it. And so asymptomatic people could also spread more. Certainly for flu, our data suggests that people who are asymptomatically infected spread less. But of course, for COVID, it's a very different disease. And there have been some studies, in fact, to suggest certainly that asymptomatically infected people have levels of virus in the nose that is certainly at least comparable to that of, of symptomatic people. So I think for COVID, it's really a question. You know, how important are these, these asymptomatic people in, in transmission of the virus? Have any studies been done to ascertain what is the percentage of people that are actually asymptomatic in this pandemic? So there's a, a range of studies that have been done. And what's been striking about them is that the numbers really go, you know, from about 10% to up to 70%, depending on which study you look at. And certainly as the epidemic has evolved, lots of different studies have come out that have looked at this. So I think what is generally well accepted now is that there is a an important proportion of infections for people who are infected who don't have symptoms. And I think what's also accepted is that these people can spread the virus on. What is lacking is really um, you know, robust uh, quantification of, of what percent is it that is asymptomatically infected and, and how important are asymptomatic people in the spread. And really that's what we aim to address in our study. And one thing that, that is also important to note is that it is possible, in fact, that the percent of people who are asymptomatically infection could vary uh, in different settings. So this number may be you know, fairly constant for the virus in different settings, but it's also possible that the percent of people who have no symptoms in China or in the United States could be different um, in South Africa. And so, you know, we're really trying to understand what this percentage is um, in South Africa because certainly what we see is that the epidemiology of the virus does appear to be somewhat different in, in South Africa versus other settings. Uh, for example, in South Africa, you know, our infection trajectory seems to be coming down now and we don't really fully understand the reasons for this. But certainly one reason could be a differential proportion of people having more severe symptoms compared to other settings. So we hope to explore this. Where are you doing this study? So the study is being done in two sites um, in collaboration with research units from WITS. The one site is in the Agincourt Demographic Surveillance Site, which is in rural Mpumalanga, basically just next to the Kruger National Park. And then the other site is in Jubiton Township in Clarksdorp in the northwest province, and that's in collaboration with the Perinatal HIV Research Unit at the University of the Front. And these two sites were the same sites we did our previous study in. So when, you know, COVID came out and we saw that asymptomatic infection was such an important question. What we thought was we'll go back to the sites um, and in fact approach the people who participated in our previous study and ask them if they would be willing 
to really start up the study again and participate in our study to really understand, you know, the burden of, of asymptomatic COVID and the transmission from asymptomatic people. So are you hoping to learn from this study how safe it is to send children back to school? So that's one of the, the questions that we hope our study will provide information about. What we know is that children um, certainly can get infected by the virus and often their infections can be asymptomatic. What we'll be able to look at is both within the household, you know, how important are children in terms of spreading the virus? And we'll also be able to look at that broken up by whether the children have symptoms or don't have symptoms and the same in adults. And so obviously there's a lot of other pieces of information going in, into, uh, you know, how the spread occurs in, in schools. And one of the important things is the type of intervention that you use, whether you use masks or physical distancing in schools. The school is not the same as a household. But it will at least give us an understanding, because we're looking within the household, we'll be able to look at how do children transmit compared to how do adults transmit. And this will be some important information. You mentioned the fact that there is less cases now, and you're not quite sure why South Africa has been opened up and there wasn't a surge as was expected. Do you think there's a reason? Is herd immunity or anything else at play? You know, all the indicators suggest that the numbers of cases in South Africa are going down. And that's in the lab-confirmed cases, but also amongst the hospitalizations and the, the mortality. This positive trajectory, there's a few possibilities. One possibility is that even though, uh, you know, things are opening up in terms of legislation, so we're moving down levels, people may still be adhering to physical distancing. They may be adhering to masks, especially if, if they've seen sort of people in their networks actually get severe COVID. So it could well be that our interventions are working particularly well. Another possibility is, in fact, herd immunity. So it could be that, that increasing proportions of the population have become infected and are immune, and that would, would naturally bring epidemic down, which is what we see with most epidemics. Now, in terms of herd immunity, you know, currently we don't really have data that is available on the proportion of people in the population that are immune. And this is, in fact, a, an additional area that we will be studying in our project. So everybody in the study does get blood taken at baseline and every two months to really understand the, the level of antibodies and the immune response in their blood and then actually correlate this with infections that they might have. You know, hopefully we'll provide some information to help understand the herd immunity component. Um, and then some other possible explanations people have explored. One is what we call heterogeneity of mixing, which means really that not everybody doesn't mix equally well. So some people might be particularly important in spreading the virus because they mix with lots of people, but all those people have really been infected already. And so now as the virus continues to spread, it spreads much slower because the people who are left who haven't had the infection are those who naturally don't have so many. So that's one other explanation that is possible. And then another possible explanation could also be that, you know, when we develop our mathematical models to understand the, the numbers of severe cases and, and deaths, that's based on data from elsewhere in the world, you know, which will say for 1,000 infections, one person will die. If that ratio, for example, is different in our setting compared to other settings, that could also, you know, give a, a different trajectory. So I think there are a number of different explanations and it's not fully understood, but, but certainly our proposed study and and other research is trying to, you know, fill in the gaps in terms of putting together the pieces of information that could perhaps help us disentangle this. You talked about three years of your previous study. How fast do you expect results from this one? We're going to be following up. So, so our study is a cohort study. What that means, um, and this is what really allows us 
to look at asymptomatic infections, we enroll everybody at the beginning of the study period. And then for six months, what we're going to do is twice a week visit everybody in the house. And we have a number of houses at each side, 100 houses at each side. Everybody in the house will be visited two times a week and will take a swab from their nose and test it for COVID, whether they're sick or they're healthy. Um, and we'll also ask them about symptoms. And so through this you know, study design, we'll be, we'll be taking a swab whether they're fine or not, and they'll be, they'll be fine for a while. But then once they get infected with COVID, even if they look totally fine, we'll know about it because it's in, we, we detect it in their nose and we can then also look at everyone else in the house and see how they spread to everyone in the house. Now, that follow-up is going to happen over a period of six months is the plan. But because of the need for data, our plan is about two months into the study to have a first look at the data and see if we can get some useful information about transmission and about burden in terms of asymptomatic infection. And if we do get results, then those will be released, at least on our website, not necessarily in a formal publication, and made available to the public health community more broadly and also communicated to the Department of Health and the National Modeling Group and other groups who may use the data. Is this study easier because you already have a relationship with the communities? Absolutely. I mean, what I've just described to you, it's a very intense study, right? To have people visit you in your home and take a swab from you two times a week requires really a very strong relationship between the, the participants in the study and the field workers. And also, I do think a sense of altruism on the part of the people participating to really give of their time for scientific knowledge. And so the strength of our study is that we have identified people who participated in a previous study. We know that they are happy to be part of the study. And so all of this really allowed us to implement the study much more quickly and we hope it will allow us more chance of success because the key in a study like this is really to have good levels of follow-up and people to remain in the study over the period so you can really understand how the virus spreads in that, in that community and hopefully because we've done it before in the same community this will be achieved. Professor, you talked about it's in Mpumalanga and Northwest. At the moment, Gauteng, the numbers are down. Western province, the numbers are down. Do you need an area where the incidence of COVID-19 is still high? So I think that is an important consideration in that, as you mentioned, ideally to understand the burden and transmission, one would, would want to get data while the virus is spreading in the community. And one of the challenges with such an intense study is it does take time to get to the field. One does need to get ethical approval and permissions and hire staff, etc. And so, in fact, our study is in the northwest and in Pumalanga because those were the historical sites uh, where the previous study was conducted. But uh, this has probably been quite fortunate for us because it, it does appear that the epidemic was slightly lagged in both of those provinces, and this will likely allow us to get more robust data. I think you're correct that right now in Gauteng, the numbers are coming down, and so it is more difficult to study the the virus or the picture that one would get would really be more of the tail end or the coming down part of the epidemic rather than at the peak. So I think it, in some ways it was fortunate for us in that we, we hope to get information. Certainly the virus is, is spreading throughout the country, but in those two areas, we, we hopefully will get you know different phases of the epidemic as well within our study. COVID-19 tests are easily available in South Africa, but how reliable are they? We speak to Nadia Swart, a business journalist, about her family's experience with COVID-19 tests. So my mother saw a post on Facebook. Uh, it was a week before lockdown. And the post was by a medical rep that advertised home test kits for COVID-19. So obviously at the time, 
this shortage of COVID-19 tests was huge in the news and it was a worry. So just to be safe, my mom ordered a pack of 40 to be distributed amongst her friends. So the pack of 40 cost 7,500 Rand, which means that each test came to 187 Rand 50. We ended up being in a position to have to use these and they showed negative results. But three days later, my father went for a COVID test at a COVID-19 testing center and his test was positive. We were obviously a little bit confused and annoyed and then followed up with the medical rep about this. And that's when she told us that they are actually COVID-19 antibody tests to be used after someone has had COVID or suspects that he has had COVID in order to see whether or not you've developed antibodies against the virus. So it's actually not useful to test for COVID infection whatsoever. And potentially dangerous too, because if you test it negative, presumably your family was not adhering to social distancing because you all thought that you were free of COVID. Yes, exactly. My mom and dad got tested and because he was showing symptoms, but his test said negative, we we weren't as vigilant as, as we had to be. Uh, we continued to socially distance to a certain degree just because we felt it was better that way, but behave in a way that we did the moment we found out that he was positive. So I do think that the ad could be very misleading and dangerous in that sense. So the box that you showed me had some Chinese writing on it. Did you buy this from China or did you buy it from a South African service provider? No, it was, it was, uh, imported from abroad. I'm not sure which country, but the writing would suggest that it is somewhere in China. Apparently, they were advertised as the tests that are going to be used and were busy being bought up by the thousands by Dischem, who is now doing drive-by testing. Uh, So I'm not sure if these are, in fact, the tests that they are using. I doubt that they are, but this was part of the advertising appeal that sort of buy now because they're being bought up by this game. And subsequent to that, your father tested positive for COVID-19 and he's now been in social isolation. And you say he hasn't been very well, but he is still at home. He's not actually, hasn't been hospitalized. No, he has luckily not been hospitalized. Next, we speak to Dr. Geraldine Timothy, Public Health Medicine's Specialist at Discovery Health, about COVID-19 tests. So currently, there are two two options. You have the option of testing for whether you are positive, and and that's been going on for quite a while, I think, since this virus has come out, and that's the PCR testing that we do, which is your um, nasal swabs that are taken. But we've now got the um, antibody tests. They've been around for a while, but only really recently approved for use in South Africa. Um, And this antibody test is a blood test. So this is a way of detecting whether you've had the virus previously. And do you do this at a doctor's surgery or can you do it yourself at home? So we, we're we not advocating for people to do this at home at all at the moment. I think there's a lot of test kits that are being propagated that are not necessarily approved by the right uh, regulators. And I think it's important that anyone who wants to have a test, so whether this is testing for the fact that you are positive or testing for these blood tests, should do so via a healthcare professional or via an approved laboratory. I, I definitely wouldn't advise anyone to buy test kits off any websites or off the shelf per se. And you should be um, having a discussion to see whether it's appropriate for you with a healthcare professional and then sent off to an approved place for testing. 
You've been listening to Inside COVID-19. I'm Jackie Cameron. Until next time.
And that brings to a close your Inside COVID-19 podcast. Until next time.